Thank you to Jim Knowles for that wonderful introduction on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom coming after an Iowa game where Jim Knowles did say in that same portion of Skull Session where that audio came from that we're going to kick your ass. And well, that's exactly what Ohio State did against Iowa in its first game of the second half of the season as the Buckeyes earned a 54-10 to win over Iowa. Yeah, Dan, I mean, the Ohio State offense didn't score a touch, only scored one touchdown on its first 10 drives, but yet somehow, some way, the Buckeyes wind up scoring the most points on a Kirk Ferentz-led Iowa team than, than any that came before it. And, and you kind of look back at that and you're like, how did that happen? And I think, you know, a lot of it really started with with Jim Knowles, like you said, in the Ohio State defense, because, you know, I, I kind of wrote about it before the game saying this, this is a chance for the Buckeye defense to feast on one of the absolute worst offenses in the country. And the, the Iowa offense, you know, lived up to that billing really in every way. And the Ohio State defense made sure of that fact. Yeah, I mean, we expected the defense to be dominant, but that still doesn't make it not a really impressive performance by the Ohio State defense, which forced six turnovers. My predictions this year have not been great. As Griffin knows, we we do a little score prediction thing with the 11 Warriors staff where we all make our score predictions last each week for the game ahead. And I'm currently in dead last in predicting the most accurate scores, you know, trying to catch Griffin for the second to last spot. So uh, if if you guys use our score predictions for betting advice, uh, you may want to look elsewhere because we we haven't been too great at predicting the scores of Ohio State games this year. But I did make one prediction right last week. I, I did say I thought Ohio State's defense would outscore Iowa's offense. And that's exactly what happened because Iowa's only touchdown of a game was a defensive touchdown. And Joe Evans, Hawkeye defensive end, hit CJ Stroud, knocked the ball out of his hand, scooped it up himself and scored. That was the only touchdown of a day for Iowa. Whereas Ohio State did have its first defensive touchdown of the season as Tommy Eichenberg had a pick six. Yeah, Dan, I think Ohio State actually doubled their season turnover a total on defense in that game with, with obviously six there and also a season high five sacks, I believe, as well. And Dan, you mentioned the, the Ohio State defense, you know, outscored the Iowa offense. Even the Iowa defense outscored the Iowa offense in that game. And you look at the final stat total in that one in terms of, you know, what Ohio State was able to limit the Hawkeyes to. You know, starting quarterback Spencer Petras, just 49 yards in that game, 81 yards for the passing offense for Iowa overall, and 77 yards on the ground on 35 attempts. That's an average of 2.2 yards per carry. And I mean, yeah, what else can you really say, Dan? I mean, obviously the, the turnovers were key straight away because on the on the first pass attempt, Dan, for, for both Iowa quarterbacks, obviously Spencer Petras getting benched in the second half there, both of those were for interceptions. And then obviously, as you mentioned, the Tommy Eichenberg pick six as well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, we can acknowledge that Iowa's offense and particularly its quarterbacks are not good. Correct. Spencer Petras has been pretty awful this year. Alex Padilla finally got his first opportunity to play. And I mean, I mean, he was put in a tough spot. I mean, the Iowa offense is playing poorly. This is a guy who hadn't played all year. And then he's got to come in in the second half. That's a tough spot for him. And I think that should be acknowledged. But not a good day for either Iowa quarterback. I mean, you, you, you look at, you know, Tanner McAllister, for example, had a great day. Two interceptions. 
pretty easy interceptions vote because they were basically both passes were thrown right to him. So, I mean, I, Iowa's offense, we knew it was bad. It, it was as bad as it looked like it was going to be. But, you know, defensively for Ohio State, I mean, this is a defense right now. I mean, they rank second in the country in total defense, fifth in the country in scoring defense. We heard the talk before the season about being a top five defense this year. I, I still... I'm not there yet because I think Ohio State has had the benefit of playing a lot of bad offenses so far this year. And I think that's helped very, very st- st- statistically. And so I'm, I'm still not there yet and ready to say this is a legit top five defense. But so far, they are backing up all that talk from before the season and they're playing dominant football. And how about Zach Harrison? For the second time in the last three games, he was really at the forefront of kind of a dominant effort by the Ohio State defense. The last one being Rutgers creating two turnovers in that game. Now here against Iowa, you know, having another stellar performance, a 97.5 pro football focus grade in that game. Five pressures on just nine pass rush snaps as well, Dan. Obviously, he he batted down a, a pass at the line of scrimmage. He actually recorded his first official sack of the season as well in that strip sack early in the game, causing, I believe, the second turnover of the game for the Ohio State defense. And Dan, like, I think you asked about it on in Tuesday's press conference. Like, should he be getting more time? Because, you know, we, we named him the 11 Warriors, uh, you know, defensive player of the game for this one. And even though he, he doesn't, you know, it's not like he's racking up insane stats. It's not like he has 10 sacks or something at the moment. But if, if you look at the plays he's making and you watch the film of Zach Harrison as of late, I mean, it, it really looks like he's starting to kind of fulfill some of the promise that he's long had is that, you know, five-star pass rusher. Zach Harrison, alpha dog? He, certainly in the in the running at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Larry Johnson said a couple weeks ago, and I asked him if Mike Hall was the alpha dog. He, he said, I think we got some more dogs. So at least for the start of the second half of the season, Zach Harrison looks like that guy. I mean, I mean, he was downright dominant in that game. I mean, you, got, you can't even just look at the stats. I mean, if you just go back and watch the film, he was only out there for 20 plays, but he was making an impact on most of those plays. I mean, he, he was just dominant. You know, they were moving him around. He even played a couple snaps inside and he made some plays from there. So, you know, I think we really are seeing now, okay, this is the player that we thought Zach Harrison was going to be for all these years. And I mean, you look at the last three games, I mean, two games before this against Rutgers, he forced two turnovers. Then he has this huge game on Saturday where he had his first sack of a season. He made I, I said four drive-ending plays. It was at least four drive-ending plays because I think he got in on a couple of others too and, and kind of helped make them happen. But, you know, he's a guy, a lot, a lot of his snaps were up there on third down, almost somewhat similar to what we saw with Mike Hall a couple weeks ago against Michigan State. But, you know, he, he was going out there and, and he was just making plays. And I think, you know, I think, you know, going into the year, you know, we all kind of thought, okay, it's, it's going to be JT Tuimolowau or it's going to be Jack Sawyer. Like one of those guys is going to be that guy who really can take over a game. And I think both those guys have played well, but we haven't seen either of them get to that point yet where they can really take over a game. That was the kind of game from Zach Harrison, but I think we've been waiting to see from this talented defensive end unit all year long. And, you know, we'll see if he can continue to build on it because, you know, I think, you know, I think, again, I mean, I think we, we've talked about Zach before. I mean, I think Zach's a guy who's been a solid player throughout his career, but there's always been this expectation of, you know, being that next Chase Young, being that next Bosa brother. And and those expectations are, are extremely high and they're extremely hard to meet. But, you know, you also get the sense just from talking to Zach that 
you know, he seems like he's more comfortable with who he is now, where maybe early in his career, he was trying a little too hard maybe to chase those expectations to be the next Chase Young. And now he kind of fully understands who he is as a player. Larry Johnson also understands who he is as a player. Jim Knowles also understands who he is as a player. So they're utilizing him to his strengths. He's playing to his strengths. And as a result, we're seeing the guy that we thought we'd see from Zach Harrison for a long time. Yeah, Ryan Day said multiple times that we're seeing the best version of Zach Harrison right now, but he's not the only player for the Buckeyes, particularly on defense, that falls into that same category. You know, we, we mentioned Tanner McAllister with those two picks, but a guy like Tommy Eichenberg, Dan, continues to have a stellar season. We talked about the pick six, seven tackles in that game, a tackle for loss as well. Ryan Day said that, that Eichenberg, you know, famously kind of not a very animated character. You know, you, you wouldn't describe him that way, but Ryan Day said they did get him to crack a smile after he scored that touchdown on Saturday. Dan, how about Lathan Ransom as well? Eight tackles for him, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery in that game. Josh Proctor didn't play at all with an illness that, that allowed Lathan Ransom to, to really, you know, play most of the snaps there. But I think, Dan, you know, even with a, a healthy Josh Proctor, it kind of seems like Lathan Ransom, who was just named a semifinalist for the Thorpe Award, is going to kind of continue to get more and more snaps seeing how well he's playing right now. Yeah, I mean, would you have ever guessed before the year that Leif and Ransom would be a Jim Forbes Award semifinalist? I mean, he wasn't even a starter when the year began. He was a backup to Josh Proctor. We didn't even know if he'd be like available at the start of his season because he was recovering from that broken leg and he missed all of spring practice and, you know, people weren't really sure, you know, when he would get back to full strength. And then it just seemed like if a, as soon as camp started, momentum just started building and building and building for Leif and Ransom. I mean, you could just tell from talking to Jim Knowles, but you know, he kept bringing up Leif and Ransom at every opportunity he could. So you could tell there was a good feeling about Leif and Ransom. And, and now it just seems like as the season progresses, he just keeps getting better and better and better. And I, you know, I, I talked to him last week, you know, at interviews at, at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, and I asked him, you know, how much more comfortable do you feel now in the role you're playing now versus what he was playing last year? And he said, I feel way more comfortable, you know, and I, and I think that has a lot to do with it. I think last year, you know, he was mostly playing that nickel safety spot last year. And that wasn't the role he was recruited to play. He was recruited to be a deep safety. I mean, I remember signing day when they signed him, Ryan Day talking about him being that next great, you know, deep safety kind of player. And so I, I think now, you know, I mean, you kind of you kind of alluded to it. I mean, there's a lot of different guys we can say this about, whether it's Zach Harrison, Tommy Eichenberg, Leif and Ransom, that Jim Knowles and this new defensive staff is just utilizing them in a way that allows them to play so much better than they did last year. And I think I think that's been such a huge key to his defensive success is that I just think these coaches straight up have a better understanding of how to play guys to their strength in, in building the scheme around players' strengths. I, I think, you know, it was it was obvious last year that there were guys who just were not being set up for success. And I think this defensive staff has, has done a great job of just figuring out how to get the best out of players. And I think, you know, those three guys in particular, Zach Harris and Tommy Eggenberg and Leif and Ransom are all prime examples of how better coaching, better scheme has turned guys who all last year could have been described as disappointments. Now we're talking about these guys being elite players. 
And then one, one player that actually didn't seem to fit that criteria that you're talking about early in the season was Denzel Burke, of, co- of course, coming off of a stellar true freshman season at cornerback, kind of establishing himself as the top guy, you know, at that position for the Buckeyes. Some struggles early on the season that we've talked about before, obviously, and, and you all have have kind of seen early in the season. But as of late, Dan Burke has really come on strong. He had a, a really nice uh, tackle for loss, you know, on a on a throw behind the line of scrimmage this past week, had to fight off a block to make a, a big tackle. And you noted here, Dan, no catches allowed past the line of scrimmage for the second straight game for Denzel Burke. Of course, you know, kind of that's kind of the ca- the caveat we're kind of talking about here. When it comes to some of these, you know, big numbers and performances with the Ohio State defense, is that like, okay, the the Iowa passing offense is not exactly going to be the elite group that's really going to to test those corners. And, and Jim Knowles even kind of said as much after the game. But I think certainly a promising sign for Denzel Burke, given the struggles that he had early on. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a much bigger test to come this week, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show when we get into Penn State. But I think we should give Denzel Burke some some love because I think he's a guy who took as much heat as anybody on the defense and maybe on the entire team early in the season. And I think the last couple of weeks he he's, he's played at a very high level again. And so we'll see, you know, going into this week against Penn state, a team that has much better receivers, much better passing game than Iowa does. Can he continue to build on that momentum? But I think, what we've seen the last couple of weeks, it, it seems like Denzel is more comfortable and that he's starting to really reassert himself as that number one corner for the Ohio State defense. And Dan, typically in a game in which Ohio State scores 54 points, you would think that we would lead really with the Ohio State offense. But, you know, obviously the, the defense was kind of the story of that game, despite that that points total. But let's kind of talk about one thing that that led to some of those early struggles that we alluded to with the Ohio State offense perhaps the biggest of which being the run game, which really struggled, had its worst game of the year, Dan. 66 yards on 30 attempts, 2.2 yards per carry. Leon Henderson finished with 38 yards on 11 carries. Mayan Williams just 19 yards on 10 carries, and one of those was a 13-yard carry. So, you know, you can do the math on that one. And I actually looked it up, Dan. You know, not only was that the worst game in terms of yardage and yards per carry for the high State run game this season, it's actually the second worst other than the, the Michigan game last year, in which they, they had 64 yards on 30 carries. This is the, the worst performance in the run game for an Ohio State team since 2011. You know, obviously that season was a lot of a worst in recent memory for the Buckeyes. But I think that's that's really kind of a, a, a stat that's going to catch a lot of people's eyes because it's, it's just kind of wild. Yeah, it certainly caught my eyes when you told me about it, because that's that's a really striking stat for, you know, for Ohio State to, you know, perform that poorly in the run game. And, you know, I think now the, the, the big question really becomes, okay, how much of a concern is this going forward? Because we do know that Iowa is, is the best defense Ohio state has played this year. I think, you know, that, that much is clear. And again, I mean, the fact Ohio state scored 54 points uh, against one of the best defenses in the country. And so, you know, I, I, I like, I, I kind of laughed about it. Like at the press conference today, like again, Ohio state won 54 to 10 and, I think the first five questions of a presser were all about issues with the offense, which you know kind of kind of tells how extremely high the expectations are for Ohio State right now. But with that being said, I do think it's a genuine concern slash question about the run game coming out of that game because it was a better defense than Ohio State had faced all season, and certainly, I mean, certainly, even you can't those numbers tell the story there that 
you know, the run game was not that effective. You know, when I, when I, when I, when I rewatched the game on film, like I didn't come away thinking like, oh my God, like this is horrible. Like the way they're running the ball. Like I thought there were some good moments and some bad moments. You know, I, I think, you know, one of my takeaways would be that, you know, I think I, I would say, you know, the offensive line, particularly the guards, I think had their worst game of a season. I think, I think Donovan Jackson has been a fantastic run blocker all year, but I think he had his worst game. Uh, against Iowa, I, I would say the same about Matt Jones, but I, I just don't think those guys played as well in this game as we've seen in other games this year. And I, I think that was certainly a factor. You know, you know, like my and it Williams, it felt to me like maybe, you know, coming off an injury, like he wasn't, he maybe wasn't running quite as confidently as we had seen in the first half of a season. And we've, and we know Travion's been dealing with an injury as well. So not sure, you know, if that had, you know, really much of an effect on it. You know, I think a lot of it was just the fact that, you know, they're, they're playing a tougher defense and things aren't going to come as easily against a tougher defense. But, you know, I think you look at that game on November 26 against Michigan and you think about what happened last year against Michigan, as you mentioned, and that's why there's so many questions about the run game this week because you figure, okay, if this is how they did against Iowa, we know Michigan has a good run defense again this year. Are, are they going to run into problems in that game? Uh, I think that's really what it all boils down to. And we'll see how Ohio State's able to respond, you know, this week against Penn State and over the course of the rest of the season. In the passing game, Dan, if you look at C.J. Stroud's final stats, 20 for 30, 286, four touchdowns, you know, those those are very good, you know, Heisman-like stats, especially against a defense like Iowa, but they really don't tell necessarily the entire story, especially as it pertains to Ohio State's struggles on offense. C.J. Stroud did have two turnovers in the game, an interception. That's what is his fourth in the last four games, I believe, Dan. And obviously there, he had that that strip sack for Iowa that led to the touchdown early on, I think on Ohio State's second drive. He had another interception that, that was called back for a penalty, I believe, later in the game. And uh, yeah, I mean, the stats look good, but but it was not certainly not a perfect performance. I think, you know, Ryan Day and, and Kevin Wilson have said several times at this point that kind of all the all the short field kind of situations that the Ohio State offense was in because of all the turnovers almost got them out of a rhythm a little bit because it kind of changed the play calling and things like that. But Dan, you know, another topic about C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State offense in general, especially coming off of a game in which it didn't have its its best performance, and it's a topic that's been, you know, litigated many times over the last, you know, year and a half and everything like that, but it's something that Grand Theft Harley asked us here which is essentially, does does the Ohio State offense become too predictable when C.J. Stroud isn't willing to or, or isn't asked to to run the ball a little bit, Dan? And, and is that something that that you know you think could be tweaked moving forward? I mean, I I don't know, but I necessarily see it changing at this point. I mean, uh, you know, for a year and a half, you know, he hasn't really run the ball a whole lot, and so do I do I see that that's going to necessarily change here and the second half of a season, I, I'd have my doubts. You know, and I, I do think, you know, the fact that you, you mentioned, you know, the asked versus willing part, I think that's an important part of this conversation because, you know, Ohio State just isn't calling designed runs for for, for CJ Stroud. Now, are, are, are there probably times where, you know, there's some open space and, and, and CJ should maybe, you know, make a more aggressive effort to take advantage of that open space? Sure, but I also think, now, here's the thing. Okay, Ryan Day is never going to come out and say, yeah, we're telling CJ not to run. You're not going to tell that to opposing defensive coordinators. I don't think Ryan Day really wants CJ Stroud running the ball much, though. I mean, I, I think I, I think knowing how important CJ Stroud is to the Ohio State offense, 
I, I think he'd prefer to limit the amount of hits that C.J. Stroud takes. I mean, you think back to a couple years ago with Justin Fields. I mean, Justin Fields, certainly his legs added a, you know, added a dynamic element to the offense that helped the offense. But, you know, Fields also dealt with more injuries as a result of that. A lot of the times that he had injuries, it was it was while he was running the ball. And so I don't I don't think Ryan Day really wants C.J. Stroud running the ball much more than he is. I think if he did, I think we would have seen it more by now. I, I, I think I think a lot of his not running is by design. Now, uh, you know, I, I you know, I certainly I think there's an argument that can be made that like, yeah, you know, if CJ, you know, even just a few times a game, if he was running a ball, that that would help keep defenses honest. And, you know, and maybe maybe it's something they have in their back pocket for a really big game, whether it's Michigan or a CFP or whatever. Maybe it you know, that might be in the back pocket where maybe they say, hey, CJ, go run the ball a little bit more. You know, I mean, who, who knows? But, uh, you know, I, I I just think, you know, I, I think it's I think it's one of these conversations that's been overblown, in my opinion, you know, for the past year and a half with, with, with CJ Stroud. I mean, he's the best passer in the country right now. And so, you know, I, I while, you know, it, it would help if he had a running element in terms of, you know, keeping defenses on their toes, I also think that, you know, his ability to pass the ball and how good the passing offense has been outweighs any drawback of him not being a runner. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's a fair question. You know, I don't dispute what, what Joshua Perry said, but I, I also, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I, I don't, I don't get the impression that Ohio State's coaches are really challenging him to run the ball more. And, you know, some people may disagree with that. I mean, Urban Meyer would probably disagree with that based on, you know, the way he coached quarterbacks. But I, I think, you know, I, I mean, if you just look at the quarterbacks Ryan Day's recruiting right now, like he's, he's not recruiting guys that are real dual threats, you know? So I, I just don't think Ryan Day really wants the quarterback to be a runner in the way that, you know, Urban Meyer did. It did. Another big storyline coming into this one was that Jackson Smith in Jigba was available to play for the Buckeyes, having not played since week three, obviously dealing with that hamstring issue. And, you know, the question was, you know, how effective can he be coming back after, you know, many weeks off and how much would he play in general? He did play a lot early on in the game, but in the second quarter, I believe with like 10 minutes left or something like that, he, he you know, was targeted on a downfield route, kind of comes off of the field, the throw was to the sideline, he kind of comes off the sideline, limping a little bit, favoring his leg, and then we never saw him again in the game, Dan. We saw him, you know, warming up a little bit on the sidelines. I think everyone at that point, kind of watching him, thought, assumed that he had tweaked his hamstring again, you know, given that he was kind of favoring that leg. But then after the game, Ryan Day says, you know, that that wasn't necessarily the case and that he had actually just exhausted his, you know, 20-something play pitch count for the game. And that that's why they ended up taking him out after that, which I think a lot of us found a little bit suspicious given how Jackson Smith and Jigba looked coming off of the field. Yeah, I mean, I don't deny that there was a pitch count that they wanted to keep him to. So, you know, it, you know, there is plausible deniability there that, you know, it it could have just been happenstance that, you know, he probably would have finished out that drive if he hadn't come up limping on that play. And, you know, that would have been it because he was over his 20 play pitch count. And so I, I think, 
you know, I, I think there's at least plausible deniability there. I also think just just going off what I saw with my own two eyes and what I think, you know, people people watching my games off their own two eyes, that I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba's fully healthy. I don't think he was fully healthy, nor is he fully healthy after that play. I mean, that's why he would have been on a pitch count in the first place. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it, it probably is true that he didn't return, that he could have returned to the game and he didn't return to the game because they wanted to limit his snaps. But I think the question still lingers about, okay, how, how healthy is Jackson Smith and Jigba? And then I, and I think, you know, the, the question that I've seen a lot of Ohio State fans starting to ask now is, okay, if, if Jackson Smith and Jigba not fully healthy, do we even want him out there right now? Because, I mean, you know, if you just if you just go off how the offense performed when he was in the game and when he wasn't in the game on Saturday, he had more success when he wasn't in the game. And I think, you know, that uh, that's because of his health. I mean, we know how good Jackson Smith and Jigba is when he's healthy. But I think, you know, is is a hundred percent Jackson Smith and Jigba still the best receiver on the team? Probably. 80% Jackson Smith and Jigba or whatever percent he is, I think is the fourth best receiver on the team because Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming are all really, really good. And so I think there's two kind of things now that Ohio State has to balance here with JSN. You know, one being his health and not wanting to, you know, not wanting him to continue to re-aggravate that injury. And two, you have to ask yourself, okay, is, is he healthy enough to actually make us better? You know, you know, because if not, the, the free receivers who have been playing are all playing fantastic football. And so they don't, they don't need to force JSN too heavily into the game plan if he's not fully healthy. And I think that's, I think that's kind of a balancing act now. You know, I know the questions are still out there about, is he going to shut it down for the NFL draft? And I've gotten no indication that he, 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 he plans to do that. I think, I think Jackson Simenjigba absolutely wants to play as much as he can, but I think Ohio state is one being cautious. And two, I think, you know, especially when you consider a game like the one coming up this week against Penn state, it's not even just being cautious. It's is he making us better right now by playing. And that has nothing to do with his talent because we know how talented he is, but it has to do with the fact with one, he still doesn't appear to be fully healthy. And two, he's been sidelined so much that he isn't in the rhythm that Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming are right now. And so certainly they want to get him into that rhythm for the, for the home stretch of a season. But I think especially when you think about a game like this week against Penn State, really the priority now has to be, okay, is he healthy enough to where him playing makes us better? And if, and if the answer to that is no, then I don't know how much we're going to see Jackson Smith and Jigba on Saturday. Yeah, I saw a lot of people online kind of scoffing at you know, a, a reporter, I think last week, asking Ryan Day, if, you know, if Jackson's going to be available, like, is he still a starter? 
And, and everyone was like, oh, you know, obviously, yeah, of course. But I think what we kind of saw on Saturday and everything that you're talking about just a second ago kind of points to like, yeah, I mean, how much is it worth trying to, to, to force him in the lineup there? You know, if he's not 100 percent ready to go, I still think, you know, I, I'm sure the coaching staff likes the idea of of however much they can get Jackson Smith and Jigba on the field. Like he, he's going to attract a lot of attention from defenses anyway, because they know what he's capable of. And, you know, maybe, maybe that helps things out. We haven't you know, necessarily seen. A, we didn't see a whole lot of that when he was on the field the other day, given Ohio State's offensive struggles in that game. But nevertheless, Ryan Day said the plan is for JSN to play against Penn State. And again, you know, how much or if that even materializes, we, de- we don't know because we've definitely heard conflicting things this year on injuries from week to week in regards to certain players. But he, Ryan Day said that in terms of a pitch counter or a snaps restriction or something like that, that'll be determined later on in the weekend. One last player I think we got to shout out before we move on to Penn State is Caden Curry, because this is a guy, I mean, we, we went to his high school last year. We watched him practice. He was playing defensive tackle for his high school team last year. And on Saturday, he's out there covering kicks. <laughs> That's not something you see a whole lot where a guy goes from playing defensive tackle to covering kicks in one year. But he he played 27 special team snaps on Saturday. That was a most of any Ohio State player. And you know, playing a lot, you know, he he had already been on a field goal team all year, but now he's on the kickoff team, he's on the kickoff return team. So I, I think that tells you the kind of trust he's building up in the coaching staff to earn uh more roles on special teams. And, you know, right now he's the fifth fifth defensive end, you know, Zach Harrison, Jack Sawyer, JT Tuamolau, Javante Jean-Baptiste leading that rotation. You know, there's not a ton of significant snaps to go around for Caden Curry right now, but he seems like a guy like by stock in him now because he certainly, I, you know, I'd say right now of a freshman, you know, he's the guy overall who's contributing the most. And he certainly seems to be on a trajectory where over the next couple years, he's a guy who could play a major role for Ohio State. Dan, let's let's get into this Penn State matchup this weekend because, you know, on paper, if you look at the ranking for Penn State right now compared to, you know, the rest of the teams that Ohio State's played and where they stand, it certainly looks like the best team Ohio State has played thus far. Obviously, Ohio State going on the road, playing in Happy Valley for the first time you know, within an actual hostile environment with fans since 2018, because obviously you'll remember in 2020, no fans there with COVID and everything like that. Penn State six and one coming into this one. The the only time they've played a ranked opponent, Dan, they went up against Michigan, got blown out, you know, particularly in the second half, Michigan kind of ran away with things. However, Penn State did gain back some momentum this past weekend with a blowout against Minnesota, who, you know, has been dealing with some key injuries on offense at quarterback with Tanner Morgan. So, you know, make of that what you will. But Penn State, you know, is going to come into this one with, you know, probably a little bit of confidence, despite having lost the last five in a row against Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, we talked last week about Penn State. I think we were both kind of in the boat like, yeah, I mean, what we just saw against Michigan, they don't really look like that much of a threat. But yeah, I think after watching them play Saturday night, like I feel a little bit differently about that. Like, like you said, I mean, Minnesota has been struggling. They were without Tanner Morgan. And so, you know, it's not like they beat a great team, but they still won that game very convincingly, 45 to 17. You know, Sean Clifford had his best game of a season, throwing for 295 yards and four touchdowns. You know, I think the, the, the play of the receivers really stood out to me watching that game on Saturday, seeing some of the plays that guys like Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley made, you know, mentioned before about, you know, Io is not really a test for a corners. I think this is going to be a test for the corners, maybe the biggest test for corners have had yet. You know, not that I think Sean Clifford is a superstar. You know, I, I think you know, we saw Sean Clifford struggle in the Michigan game. And I think 
that if Ohio State's defense can get pressure on on Sean Clifford, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if he struggles again. But I, I do think you know this is an offense that has the capability to make some big plays through the air, and so I think this is. You know, again, relatively speaking, because Ohio State just hasn't really played any great passing offenses yet, I think this will be one of, if not the biggest test yet for the, for the pass defense, along with the, the Michigan State game so far. And so, you know, I, I look at that and I go, okay, like, you know, I, I think, you know, I think they, they could give the defense more of a challenge than we've seen from most Ohio State opponents this year and then you know you, you just you see the environment there in happy valley and you remember that too but yeah i mean this you know beaver stadium's a tough place to play and you know that michigan game that was in ann arbor this game is in state college and so you know i think it's very easy to look at the michigan penn state game and if you think ohio state is at least as good or a better team than michigan to think that ohio state's going to blow out penn state but you know, I think you factor in the fact, okay, this is going to be, you know, game that's played at Penn State. You know, Penn State's got a little momentum now coming off the last game. Obviously, I'm sure, you know, they've, they've learned from some of the things that went wrong a couple weeks ago. And you, you think, okay, I mean, do I think Ohio State should win this game? Absolutely. But I, I also think I look at it now as oh okay we, we you know we 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 can't just we can't just chalk this one up as an easy win we we can't assume Ohio State is going to roll in this game because I do think it's the best team Ohio State has played this year overall and it's only the second road game of a season yeah Dan I know you've also been high on the on the prospect of like listen if, if Penn State turns to Drew Aller obviously the, the five star freshman quarterback for the Nittany Lions, you know, perhaps they'd have a, a higher ceiling for potentially giving Ohio State some issues, but, you know, it doesn't look like that's going to happen in this one. Clifford's going to get his fourth crack against Ohio State, you know, having previously lost all three of those other starts against the Buckeyes. If you look at, you know, Penn State's rankings, their, their major statistical rankings on both sides of the ball, nothing really blows you away. They're, I believe they're, they're 20th in scoring defense, and I think that's pretty much kind of by far their, their highest rankings in, in any of those as far as, you know, passing offense rushing offense total, everything like that. And, and that, I think, kind of goes for, for Clifford as well in terms of his skill set in, in terms of just like, you know, solid quarterback, not super nationally elite or anything like that. But they certainly do have, you know, some talented players. I think particularly you look at the Penn State secondary and, and some of the guys they have there, Joey Porter, Kalen King as well, or Brown at safety. Those guys have some, some very impressive stats, Dan. Joey Porter at, at cornerback, I think only three players in the country have more PBUs than him coming into this weekend. Kalen King, the sixth highest graded cornerback in the country per pro football focus. And you look at just the talent there. And I think despite the fact that I think they rank 79th in the country in pass defense, they certainly have some talent to make plays and potentially turn Ohio State over. And as we've seen in recent weeks, Dan, I mean, CJ Stratt has been has been prone to, to turn the ball over a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's important to clarify. You say 79th in pass defense, which they are in terms of total passing yards per game, but they're 11th in yards allowed per passing attempt. So I think that pass defense stat is a little bit, little bit misleading. I think they've just faced a lot more passing attempts per game than, than, than most teams have. And so I think, you know, secondary-wise, I think I'm looking to see, yeah, Penn State has the seventh most opposing passing attempts per game 
of any team this season. And so that plays a big part in that overall pass defense number being low. But I think this is still a, a pass defense, especially on the back end of it, is going to be more capable than most teams of, of challenging Ohio State in the back end. I mean, we know that that's a tough task for any defense. But, you know, I think, you know, I think secondary-wise specifically, this team is right there with Iowa this past week. And maybe, I mean, probably in terms of pure talent, is probably the best secondary Ohio State has faced this year. Yeah, you look at the numbers, Iowa has been really good. So I'd put them kind of right neck and neck. But I think, you know, I, I think this is a team that, you know, I think they have the talent on the back end to, to compete with Ohio State's receivers in a way that most teams can't. Now, I still think Ohio State receivers are going to make more than their fair share of plays because they're so good. Whether Jackson was out there or not, I think that's going to be the case. And so I'm, I'm certainly not predicting that Penn State is going to be able to shut down C.J. Stroud on the Buckeyes passing offense by any means. But I think they could at least challenge them, kind of like we saw with Iowa last last week for at least, at least some of a game. I think they can at least challenge them. I think if you're looking for the, maybe the biggest vulnerability... I look at the run defense because you talk about the best team Penn State has played this year, Michigan. Michigan ran for 418 yards and four touchdowns on 55 carries against Penn State. So Michigan absolutely gashed that run defense. And, you know, that would make you think, one, this, you know, it's probably going to not be the same kind of test for the run rushing offense that Ohio State saw from Iowa last week, you wouldn't think. And that... Ohio State uh, probably should look to attack them on the run because they certainly look to be vulnerable there. And so I, you know, I, I think it'll be a, a balanced game plan as we've seen from Ohio State most of a year. But I certainly think, you know, particularly if you feel, you know, good about, you know, Travion and Mayan both being healthy, I would think Ohio State is going to look to establish the run early and often in this game. And this will be my first trip to Beaver Stadium, but it'll be cool, you know, that another historic venue to kind of cross off my my bucket list and things like that. However, you know, it, it is a game that's going to be played at noon. It's not going to be, you know, that nighttime, you know, primetime whiteout atmosphere that we've seen, you know, at Penn State. How do you think that that, that plays into things? Is that is that, you know, all that significant in this matchup? Probably not, but I am curious to see what it's like just because the only other times I've been there it's been a night game. I mean, they, Ohio State has not played in a non-night game or a non-whiteout game at Penn State since 2009. And so you know, that that makes it a little different, maybe a little less intimidating than it would normally be. But I still think Penn State fans are going to be amped up for this game. And Ohio State's favored by 15 and a half points. You know, I have I have picked Ohio State to not cover many times this season so far. And I think, you know, last, last, this past weekend might've been my tipping point in terms of, you know, just the amount of points Ohio State was able to put up, even with the offense not being at its best. I am going to take Ohio State to cover this weekend. And I'm going to, to, uh, you know, just looking at kind of what, what Michigan did to Penn State and, you know, factors like that, of course, you know, this one will be in Happy Valley, but I'm going to still take Ohio State to win 41 to 21, Dan. Mark it down. Mark it down. And this will be the this will be the turning of the tides and and the uh, the RPW boys being at the bottom of the standings in the eleven dub scoring predictions here. Well, let's hope so because I my score prediction is forty two to twenty, so oh. almost identical there in our score prediction. You you got 
You've got Ohio State settling for a couple more field goals. I've got Ohio State forcing Penn State to settle for a couple more field goals. But yeah, pretty much about as identical as we could get there on on the predictions. I, I see it similarly to you. I mean, it, it is by design that my score prediction is very comparable to the score Michigan beat Penn State by, you know, because I think, you know, you know, it's obviously the best comparison for Penn State going into this game. You know, I think, you know, it, I think right now that Ohio State's a better team than in Michigan, and so I was tempted to pick Ohio State to win by even more than Michigan. But I think you 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 add in the road factor, you know, that makes me think, okay, Penn State might be a little more competitive in this game than it was against Michigan. And so, you know, I'm going 42-20. I mean, I think, you know, I don't expect, even though I think Iowa's defense is better than Penn State, I don't think. Ohio State will score as much as it did against Iowa because I don't think Ohio State is going to get the ball in plus territory six times. You know, I think I think Penn State is going to be more, com- you know, much more competitive on offense. And so I don't think Ohio State is going to get as many possessions. I don't think Ohio State is going to dominate the field position battle the same way. But I, I still think that, you know, uh, you know, again, I think, you know, my guess would be, you know, playing on the road, you know, Penn State will probably make some stops early, probably make it challenging for them early. But eventually if that dam breaks, you know, especially with a running game, I think Ohio State uh, will ultimately be able to put up a pretty significant number on the scoreboard. And, you know, I think Penn State, like I said, I I think Penn State probably makes, you know, a, a few big plays through the air in this game. You know, we, we probably, you know, you know, I, I would expect two or three touchdowns from Penn State, but I also think, you know, based on the struggles we saw from Penn State against that, you know, I, I think Ohio State's defense the way it's played all year is going to be able to, you know, for the most part, stop the run in this game. And I think they're going to be able to bother Sean Clifford and, and force him to make some mistakes. And so I, I feel pretty comfortable with, with, with the cover there and going, we are both going with a 20 to 22 point victory. And let's zoom out a little bit, look at the, you know, larger CFB, CFP landscape here. You know, a, a few unbeaten teams coming into this past weekend lost, you know, Syracuse, UCLA, Ole Miss, all losing. Just six unbeaten teams remaining. Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, and TCU. And Dan, it it seems like on paper, you know, kind of a a simple path based on some matchups that are going to take place over the next month here in terms of how we could see a CFP field, you know, take shape. Although, you know, college football is often more unpredictable than that. Yeah, I mean, if you you look at it, it, I mean, there is a simple, there is a clear cut path to the CFP right now. If four things happen, if a winner of Georgia, Tennessee wins out, if a winner of Ohio State, Michigan wins out, if Clemson wins out and TCU wins out, those are your four college football playoff teams. Any of those things don't happen. That's when things start to get interesting. So the question is, how many of those things do you think will actually happen? That's a tough question. That's a, a, a tough question. And because TCU, if you look at their schedule, no remaining ranked teams on their schedule. I believe the same can be said for Clemson, Dan, although I'm not. South Carolina is 25th after. 25th. OK, so, you know, you look at those. They're not the hardest schedules in the world. You know, which one of those programs do you take over the other Clemson? Obviously, with a lot more you know, recent success at the elite level. But at the same time, they've had a lot of close calls this season. TCU. A lot of you know close calls in recent games as well, although some of those being against you know ranked opponents and things of that nature. I certainly think the Ohio State versus Michigan winner gets to the CFP. I certainly think that the the Georgia Tennessee winner gets to the CFP. And 
I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, could, I, I just don't see TCU winning out just because I just don't know how much faith I have in that happening. And so that's why my, my CFP picks are actually going to, I believe, stay the same, although I'm, I can't always remember exactly what they were from week to week, but I'm still going to say that, that Georgia, Georgia and Alabama, Dan, are still making it to the CFP. And that Ohio State and Clemson. But I think that's a change from last week. Because last week you said you thought Georgia would beat Bama and you had Tennessee in there. So you are now, are you now predicting that Alabama will beat Georgia in the SEC championship game? I could see that happening, to be honest with you. The fact that we talked about the fact that Alabama, like, despite their loss, could could come out and and just roll everybody the rest of the way. We've seen it in, in, in past years where Alabama has, you know, stumbles in the regular season and still ends up looking fantastic. And so, yeah, I still, I, I think... I think that's a possibility, Dad. Yeah, I think, you know, one of those interesting scenarios is going to be, you know, if Georgia beats Tennessee and then Alabama beats Georgia, because then you could you could easily have all three of those teams finish with one loss. But you would think in that scenario, Alabama would get priority as the SEC champ, then Georgia as 12-1, and then Tennessee at 11-1 would be at the, the bottom of, of that priority. Could we see three SEC teams in the CFP? I'm not... Not, I'm not predicting that. I'm not ruling it out. But you know, I'm I'm sticking with the same picks from last week as well. I, I've got Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and Tennessee as my final four. I because I, I am I, I am going to pick Georgia to beat. I'm I'm going to pick Georgia to beat both Tennessee and Alabama as of right now. Alabama would have two losses, and I, and I'm picking Tennessee to get in as the fourth team with an 11 and one record. I I don't think TCU will win out. I do think Clemson will win out. And it's mostly just because I don't think their schedule is that good. I, I mean, if you were asking me right now, like to me, I think Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan, I think those are the four best teams in college ball right now. I would pick any of those four teams to beat Clemson right now. And I would pick Alabama to beat Clemson right now as well. But I think Clemson, I'm picking Clemson to get in because I just don't know if anybody on their schedule is, is going to be able to beat them. I, I, I mean, right now, if I was just going off like who I think like the actual best football teams are, I would have Clemson six right now. But I also think of any team in this race right now, I think they've got the clearest path to going unbeaten just because they don't have any marquee opponents remaining on their schedule. Then Oregon making some noise quietly as well, you know, out of the Pac-12. You, you look at their, their the first game of their season getting crushed by Georgia, but they've won, you know, every game since then, knocking off uh, UCLA this this past weekend. And they're up to, what, like eight in, in the country. So, you know, making some noise as well. But it still kind of feels like, you know, with, with some of those SEC powers and, and you know, other teams, it's, it's just going to be maybe tough for, for a Pac-12 champion. Well, to I, think the, I think the whole question to Pac-12 is, okay, you've got Oregon, USC, UCLA. Can any of those teams win out? Because they, they all have one loss right now. I think if any of those teams wins out, they've got a very real shot. I mean, you know, what a what a one loss in the scenario I put out, what a one loss Pac-12 champ get in over a one loss Tennessee that doesn't make the SEC championship game. I mean, they probably should, you know, but I think the question is, you know, especially when you know, especially knowing now that the Pac-12 is not divisions this year. And so the two best teams are going to face each other in that Pac-12 championship game. You know, can any of those teams get through unscathed the rest of the way? If they do, they're going to be right in the middle of that conversation. But that's the prerequisite that has to happen. Dan, the, the first CFP rankings will come out next week. If we assume, as we both predict, that Ohio State beats Penn State, which is number 13 in the you know AP poll, 
Where will House A be ranked? Is, there, is it a possibility that they could debut, you know, at number one? Or is there any possibility they could slide out of that that second spot that they are in the, the, the polls right now after beating Penn State? If I have to predict right now, I'm going to pick Penn State. Ohio State's going to be third in the rankings next week. I think Georgia and Tennessee are going to be one and two. And then that'll change because they're going to play each other a weekend from this weekend. But right now, if I have to predict, I'm I'm going to predict that be, because of Ohio State's strength of schedule, even if the Penn State game coming up, Penn State is going to be the only team that's going to be in that CFP top 25 of the teams Ohio State's played. I, I, I think Ohio State will... I, I think right now, unless Georgia, you know, if Tennessee loses to Kentucky this weekend or something, but unless one of those other two teams loses, my prediction is Ohio State will be third in the initial rankings and that Ohio State fans will be mad. Dan, is it that time? Is it that time of year for, for us to do our Ohio State basketball team draft with obviously Ohio State not officially starting its season, but having its exhibition game on the 1st of November against Chaminade. And just a week after that, actually starting the season off against Robert Morris. Obviously, this is a a tradition here at 11 Warriors. And I believe it's time, Dan, to to get into what our teams would look like if we could do a head-on-head matchup, you know, based solely out of the Buckeye roster. It is, yeah. I mean, if, if with an exhibition coming up next week, if I'm a season opener coming up a week after, now's the time for us to do it. So we'll move through it a little quick here since we're getting into the end of a show. But basically, as we've done before, there's 14 players on the team. We're each going to draft seven of them. And then our lineups will go head to head and you guys can tell us who you think got the better team. And I think it's a fun, interesting exercise this year because so much of his team is unknown. There's so many unknown commodities from his team that... You know, we're going to flip a coin for who gets the first pick, but there could be a lot of coin flips on, on who to pick on this because we just, we, you know, last year we knew going in, okay, EJ Liddell is number one player. You know, I don't think Malachi went second, but he was up there and we, we kind of had a feeling that he could be a guy that was going to play a major role. I think this year there's so many more unknowns that, you know, that our boards could both go in very different ways and we'll, we'll find out here in a minute. But, okay, I'm going to flip a coin here on Google is Griffin, is your call heads or tails? Tails never fails, Dan. Tails never fails. It is flipping, and well, it failed this time. It is God heads. Damn. And so I get to choose, do I want the number one pick or not? And I do because I feel like there's about four different players I could take at number two, but I feel pretty good about who I'll take at number one, and that's going to be Zed Key because Zed, to me, is really the only known commodity on this team I mean, to an extent, I mean, there's there's still that question of, okay, now can he become a dominant player? Can he, you know, get that free ball in his game? Can he, can he, can he round out his game and really become a focal point for this team? But he's the one guy that I feel really good about. Like he's going to play a massive role. He's going to be, you know, one of the top two or three players on this team for sure, in my opinion. And I think he's a guy that they're really going to go for a lot a lot of what they do both offensively and defensively and so Zed Key for me is the number one pick so I get number two here then you we alternate two, and, two you get two and three two and three. Oh, well thank you Dan because here we go I'm going to take Justice Suing who was number one on my leaderboard here because he could be the best player on the team the problem is and, and I felt good about having him at number one. I think I, we, I had him at number two last year. Obviously, that, that didn't exactly pan out. There's a lot of questions, obviously, about his health and how he's going to hold up. You know, is he the same player from a couple of years ago that we saw? That was like the third best player on that team. But I feel good about, about Justice Suing as the number two overall pick in this one. And number three, I'm going to go. And honestly, like two through 
like nine or 10, like could all be interchangeable for me. Like depending on how everything shakes out, I'm going to take the Bruce Thornton because I've been quite impressed seeing him play in the kingdom league, seeing him play in some scrimmage action in the open practices at Ohio state. I think he's going to play a lot. He can shoot the ball, you know, control the offense. He's going to get, you know, assists for Ohio state. He can really knife into the lane. He's really quick, physically strong and has all the intangibles that you want in a point guard. I'm going Bruce Thornton with my uh, second pick here. Yeah, those are two smart picks, in my opinion. Number four, I'm going to go with Tanner Holden. I think he's a guy who I certainly see being one of the top scorers on this team. You know, there's always going to be a question of, okay, a guy played in the Horizon League at Wright State. How is that going to translate to the Big Ten? But I think he's a guy that, you know, has a lot of skill as as a scorer. You know, he's got the length and size that you'd look for in a Big Ten wing. So I think he's a guy who's going to play a major role on this team this year and his first year on the team. And so I'm going to take him number four as my uh, second player on the team. And then, you know, then the next pick, I mean, you got to know where I'm going for this next pick because I've been, I've been hyping up Bryce Sensabaugh all year long. And so how can I not take Bryce Sensabaugh here? I mean, uh, the rumor has been that he was the leading scorer in their secret scrimmage against Wake Forest over the weekend. He was also their leading scorer in both their games in the Bahamas. And so he's certainly a guy who can score. I mean, I think he's a freshman. There's going to be areas of his game that he's going to have to work through, but he can score. And I think, I think he's a guy that, you know, he's one of those guys, is he going to be Malachi Branham in year one? I don't know about that. But I think he's a guy that is going to have some, you know, really big moments for this team. All right, Dan, I'm going with a little bit of a small ball action here with my next picks. I'm going to take both Sean McNeil and Isaac Likely off of the board. So then with suing Thornton and Likely, that's really three guys that are going to play some point guard for this team. You know, kind of like the the actual team this year being a, a smaller team that's going to play a lot of, you know, four guard lineups and things like that. Sean McNeil might be the best three-point shooter on the team. I really like the shooting with suing Thornton and McNeil in that lineup. Likely, definitely not a shooter, but a guy that can do a lot of different things for the Buckeyes, even guarding Zed Key in a part of that that open practice that we watched. So I'm going to to, to go with those two players right there. Two transfers and likely being a, ca- a first-year you know captain for ISA without even playing a game yet. Yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't do that because that kind of leaves me in a tough spot in terms of who's going to be my primary ball handler because you kind of took all those guys. So you kind of did me like Colin did him a football draft a year ago where he took, <laughs> took all the offensive linemen. So that's not great for me, but, you know, I, I took the guys who I thought were the best players and so got a role fit. So, I mean, number eight, I think I'm going to have to go Roddy Gale because I think he's the best guard left. And so I'm going to have to go for Roddy Gale. You know, he's a guy that, you know, in, in this situation, he's probably a guy who's going to handle the ball a good amount, whoever him or, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh, somebody like that is going to going to have to take on that role now because you got most of the ball handlers here. And so, you know, going to go for Roddy Gale being a guy that's got some upside. And, you know, if, 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 if you're going to, if, if you're going to play small ball, then I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to <laughs> oh, go no, a different no. route and I'm going to have to play big ball. So I'm going to take Felix Akpara and that gives me both of the true centers on this team. I can move Zed to the four and I'm going to have to use that size advantage to my advantage. That was my fear, Dan. I, I was fearing you might do that. That was my only, my only concern about <laughs> drafting those two guys. But, you know, I will have confidence with that because when I asked Chris Holtman about playing a key and par at the same time, he said we'd be an outlier in college basketball if we were to do that this season. And so, Dan, your team is an outlier. But <laughs> well, hopefully it works. I, I'm going to take with the next two picks here, correct? I'm, yep. I'm going Eugene Brown, who, you know, maybe blossoms this season as and I've been calling him, I, I've been, you know, foreseeing in a perhaps too hopeful crystal ball that Eugene Brown might have a Kawhi Leonard-esque on a much smaller scale. 
rise in terms of a guy that has the physical tools, the defensive capability, a little robotic on offense, but has the athleticism to perhaps round out those skills. You know, he wasn't very high on my big board here, but he could, you know, climb those ranks. I'm going to take Eugene Brown and then Kalen Etzler, who, you know, redshirted last year. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get, but he's going to be basically a, a de facto big man for my team, considering what Dan's done here. You know, I prefer to go Etzler over walk on Owen Spencer, a 6'9 guy, both of those guys being 6'9. And I like the, the versatility of my roster here, Dan, how it's shaping up. Yeah, well, that leaves me with two more picks. I'll take the last scholarship player, that being Bowen Hardman. I mean, indications seem to be that he's probably going to be a redshirt guy this year. But, you know, if you get in Sean McNeil, you know, Bowen Hardman is a guy that has that free point shooting ability. So, you know, he's a guy that I can bring off the bench and gives me another shooter. And then I'll round out my roster with Colby Bauman, who is a guy who I'm probably going to need to do some ball handling for my team since I don't have, you know, really any true point guards. And I think he's a guy that can play some point guards. So uh, he'll, he'll give me some depth there that I need him a backcourt. That works out for me, Dan, because I get another big body in Owen Spencer that can help out, you know, guarding those two monsters on the inside and Zed Key and Felix Akpar on your side. So what do you think? I mean, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I'll say this. I feel very good about the fact that I was able to get Zed and, and Tanner and Bryce because those guys were all in the top four of my board along with Justice Suing. So to be able to get all three of them is something I feel really good about. I also feel really good about the fact that I have both of the true big men on this team giving me a, a big advantage in the post, although I was very much hoping that instead of taking Isaac Likely with your seventh pick, that I would be able to take him with the eighth pick. Yeah, I mean, I, the versatility of my team, I mean, I, I've got some some wings, a, a lot of guards here. And I think, you know, Eugene Brown has just played power forward for this team, too. I mean, you look at Brown, Etzler, Spencer, and likely as well being guys that can, you know, sneakily guard bigger players. They, you know, I don't love the matchups on the inside defensively for, for my team necessarily, but I think some of my shooting, some of my guard play, my wing play and the versatility will, will ac- account for that in, in some senses. I hope you guys enjoyed that exercise. We'll uh, we'll put that up on the site some point this week as well and allow you guys to vote. I remember the football draft was very, very close, very neck and neck. I think I just edged Griffin in that one. So we'll see what you guys think about the basketball team. Open up Chaminade Tuesday, Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday night, a big night for Ohio State as it will be the first CFP rankings and the exhibition game for basketball. So we, we may have to record the pot a little later next week. We'll, we'll figure that one out because, you know, certainly those are things, uh, particularly the CFP rankings that I think we'll want to talk about. But also, of course, we'll have a lot to talk about from a big road trip to Happy Valley this week and then uh, looking ahead to maybe a less big road trip against Northwestern, but road trip nonetheless. So thank you for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll talk to you again soon.